Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, we talk top fuel and pro stock motorcycle with Matt Smith and Justin Ashley, two big names in the sport. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. And we take a look at what will be a very interesting weekend coming up at the Virginia Nationals. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip. And at the finish line stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. This is the NHRA Insider. It's Bruce Pentagon, 395-8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, it's Brian Loads. Welcome back to another episode of the NHRA Insider, a race week episode as we are preparing for the NHRA Virginia Nationals, which are coming up this weekend at Virginia Motorsports Park. Make sure you go to NHRA.com and score your tickets. It's going to be packed. I've been talking to the guys and girls at the racetrack and they said people are snapping up tickets left, right, and center. So make sure you get your seats. And there are plenty of good viewing positions for what promises to be one of the fastest weekends on the tour of Mother Nature Cooperate with us it's going to be great the service itself is unbelievable and the competition we have showing up this weekend top shelf in every single respect and regard it's going to be great Uh, we have friday night qualifying at vmp and you know this is something that is going to be unique for nhra because of the fact that this track has this incredible all led lighting system that they can program to do different things regarding music and putting on a real light show um, you're going to see something on friday night that you literally have never seen before in the annals of nhra drag racing and i just cannot wait to be a part of it before i get to virginia on friday i'm actually going to make a stop in kansas uh, i'm going to virginia by way of kansas from the boston area but going to be out there for the nhra division five awards and can't wait to uh, honor the divisional champions from 2021 getting them together on thursday evening out there at great bend as there is a regional event going on this weekend so there'll be some test and tune going on at the track on thursday then we'll have our division five awards on friday big thanks to rob park the division director for inviting me out to be part of what promises to be a great night so it's fun to honor champions and sure it's a little bit non-traditional to do it later on in the year but pretty much all the divisions are taking this tack as of course at the end of last year things got a little wonky and weird as far as gatherings but good thing it seems we're past all that now and you'll be able to hang out if you're a division five racer and you go into the race make sure you come to our night of champions on thursday evening at the great Bend event center it really is going to be a lot of fun and certainly uh, going to be great to see a lot of familiar faces and honor those racers that rose to the championship level over the course of 2021. Our two guests on this show are Matt Smith and Justin Ashley. Of course, Smith is off to uh, maybe not the most Matt Smith season of all time to start with, but he thinks his program is in good shape. We're going to hear from him and going to get his opinions on a myriad of topics running from the recent rules adjustments made in Pro Stock Motorcycle to how he feels the Suzuki's can and will perform with the added weight they have on them. And, of course, talking about uh, the growing uh, feud, the growing war of words, the growing rivalry that is already uh, pretty intense coming into this year with Steve Johnson. It seems to have grabbed another gear. So we're going to get his honest opinions on all those things. Justin Asher, we're going to talk to him about his early season success, how his team is maturing over the course of not only this season, but really over the last couple of years, and why he thinks his team is built for the long haul over the course of what promises to be a long and fun 2022 NHRA Camping World drag racing season. Not a whole lot to report as far as, you know, big breaking news, if you will, over the course of the last week or so after we left Charlotte. We are going back to two-wide racing. We'll carry that two-wide format through the entirety of the remainder of our 2022 season. So for some racers, 
Uh, this return to familiarity, if you will, is a good thing for others that enjoy that four-wide format. Well, they have to hang up their four-wide spurs until we head back to Vegas next spring. We'll, of course, be going back to Vegas in the fall, but that is a two-wide race, second-to-last event of the season, leading us into the World Finals in Pomona, California. We have a great slate of competition, as I mentioned earlier, uh, at this event. It includes things like the Mountain Motor Pro Stock Division will be out competing. It includes things like supercharged top fuel motorcycles putting on an exhibition and a handful of other um, really fun things that are lined up for this particular race at VMP. First time we've been back to this racetrack since the 2019 season. Uh, for obvious reasons, the 2020 season didn't happen. Last year, again, it was some restrictions, and uh, it was decided that we would forego the 21 stop there. So uh, a lot of pent-up demand, a lot of very excited fans for us to be going back to the greater Richmond, Virginia area. The Pro Modified class will be there, and they will be throwing down in fine style. The Pro Modified racing will be, as it always is, very tight and exciting, but this particular race, I think, will bring up a different kind of gear of competition. The reason being is that VMP is a place that a lot of people go to test, so a lot of familiarity amongst the crew chiefs and the teams. Uh, the, the the PDRA, obviously the Door Slammer Drag Racing Organization that is owned by Tommy and Judy Franklin and kind of adjudicated, if you will, by the general manager of uh, VMP, Tyler Crossno, uh, has been a, a great place for a lot of these racers to go make eighth-mile rips. Uh, racers like Stevie Fast Jackson have showed up and run PDRA um, you know, on their off NHRA weekends, so Again, the level of familiarity, probably an all-time high uh, for our competitors in the Fuel Tech Pro Modified category, presented by D-Wagon. Those are the sponsors for the class this year. Going to be some breaking news coming with ProMod in the next couple of days that is going to be very exciting. I'm not going to give it away, but I will just give you one word, shootout, and it's coming, and it will be announced, and you're going to dig it. So rather than kind of go on and on about VMP, you guys know and love the storylines that are going so far this season. I think we're just going to dive into the interviews here and, and get the show kicked off the right way. And the first conversation you're going to hear me have is with Mr. Matt Smith. So without further ado, let's roll that conversation with Matt Smith. We'll roll directly into the conversation with Justin Ashley following that. Enjoy. All right. So our first guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, you know him. You may love him, you may not. He's a five-time champion in the NHRA Pro Stock Motorcycle Division and the defending world champion, Matt Smith. How you doing, man? Good. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing good. And, Matt, I wanted to catch up with you for a multitude of reasons, and, and there's all kinds of stuff going on with Pro Stock Motorcycle right now, which is, I think, all really exciting from a from a spectator and or you know media guy perspective. I don't know how much of it's exciting for you as a, as a, as a racer, but you know, you, you've know you never held your tongue when it comes to rules adjustments and your opinion of them. So we've had them made. We had 10 pounds put on the Suzuki's. We've had weight come off of the V-Twins. Where's your head at on the adjustments that have been made? Oh, well, you know, I think NHRA is trying to do what they can to, uh, you know, to keep parity in the class. Uh, I think we saw at the end of last year, even though I won the championship, I did not have the fastest and quickest bike there. Um, you know, Karen outran me, you know, five to six hundreds at the last race. Yeah. So I think that was the reason they put 10 pounds on them over the winter. And then she comes out at the beginning of the year and, you know, sets a national record. The one point that I do see is that the Suzuki's have ran under the national record all three races of the previous record held by Andrew Hines, you know. Yeah, we've been bringing um, that up, too, because even when we were watching Houston and all these other races, basically the, the runs we were seeing made would have all been national records had that record not been obliterated at Gainesville. Correct. So, you know, I still think there's some work that need to be done. You know, even though I'm campaigning a Suzuki, um, I still want the rules to be fair. You know, that's that's the main thing is, 
rules need to be fair to where, you know, you can't expect a driver to go up there and, and go double O and the guy you got to beat has got you seven, eight hundreds and yeah. expect him to go 80 or 90 on the tree. It's just not going to happen. might happen every now and then, but it's not going to happen. So the NHRA, their rules is you got to keep parity within five hundredths of the fastest V-Twin to the fastest Suzuki, yada, yada, yada. So right now they're still, the Suzuki is still ahead of everybody. But I think they're making the gains to do that. And I think, I don't think the 30, the 10 pounds off the V-Twins helped anybody but my wife. I don't think Ryan can get down. I don't yeah. think, you know, everybody else can get down to, to that minimum weight. Even my bike, the Red Rocket, I can't get it down to a minimal weight now if I were to bring it back out. So, honestly, I really think, I feel like the V-Twins need to be 640. The Suzuki need to be 640 right now and see where we stack up, you know, between the two two things. And if some more needs to be adjusted, then, you know, I don't know what their next step is. I don't think we need to go over 640 because they only have a problem with breaking in some of the short tracks. Yeah, and that's one of the things I want to ask you about because obviously the majority of people on here that listen to this show and that follow drag racing, if they follow you know the, the automotive side of things, they think ten pounds. I mean, what's what's ten pounds going to do? But other than the other than the physical weight on the bike, which we know you know a hundred pounds in a car usually represents about what a hundredth of a second. What does the ten pounds represent on a motorcycle? And is it more about managing where that ten pounds lands versus the overall actual performance detriment of the added weight? Yeah, so 10 pounds, in essence, we tested this back when we were 615 pounds. When the HRA put 10 pounds on the V-Twins back in the day, I set the record uh, at St. Louis one year. And we stayed over the next day because they told us they were going to do it. So we stayed over on a Monday, tested. 10 pounds was exactly 300 and one mile an hour. That's wild. Um, on a motorcycle. Now, give or take, you know, it might be two and a half at some, you know, certain things or yeah. whatever, but... That's about what it was. And I think the biggest thing that you see is most of your Suzuki people at the end of last year, they, they have to, they would have to watch their weight as, as far as eating. Yeah. And they might've been five pounds over or whatever. So I think when they added the 10 pounds over the winter, probably a lot of them guys, you know, they were happy because, Hey, we got, we get to add five pounds to our bike is <laughs> right. about all they were going to have to do Yeah, because they're already overweight. I think this 10 pounds will, will affect them more than the previous 10 pounds did because now I think everybody was at 620 and now they got to go to 630. So um, ultimately, I, I still think that both parodies need to be at 640. Go back to go back to that or both of them and see where everybody stacks up at that point. Yeah, and, and obviously you're one of the the few guys. In fact, the only guy that I know of that has uh, you know have has kind of one of each weapon in your arsenal in terms of the V twin versus the uh, the Suzuki four cylinders. We saw the we saw the V twin bike come out in Houston to to make that final kind of valiant dash in the final round. Um, and it, is any of this in terms of what you're doing? And, and you even said it. You can't get that other bike down to what the minimum weight is. So there's been no kind of mentality change for you as to what the primary lead bike you're going to be on is, even with this weight change. Yeah, I mean, right now I'm committed to the Suzuki program. Um, you know, I'm doing uh, research and development for, you know, uh, Mike Salinas with Scrappers Racing. Uh, Gianna, this will be her first race back, um, you know, from where she had the, the incident at Brigginson over the winter. Um, you know, we saw Jimmy the last race, do his first ever 200, dipped in the 670s. He's never been that quick and fast. So we are on the right track with making very, very good power on the Suzuki stuff. 
and really excited that the program is taking off as fast as it has. You know, it just shows the potential of what the Suzuki platform is. And that's the main reason I'm after it because I see the potential and right now it's unlimited. Our, our V twin program is kind of tapped, Yeah, you know, right now, um, unless we get some kind of, you know, rule change or something like that. So, yeah, we can we can maybe find two or three, four horsepower with a V twin, you know, here and there. But nothing major. But the major thing is Suzuki. I mean, when we make a change to something, we're finding five, six, seven horsepower, and I mean that's huge. Massive. And yeah. It's just it's just until we get all the parts and pieces and run this motor for two, three, four years, I don't think you're gonna see the full potential yet uh, of anybody. You know, you mentioned Jimmy Underdahl, and, you know, this is a guy, and, and we've said it on the TV show a couple times, it's like, do not sleep on this guy. Like, Jimmy's on arguably the best motorcycle he's had in his career right now, and the dude is an absolute stone-cold killer at the starting line. So it's fun to see him now with that competitive horsepower and that competitive motorcycle, and I'm sure he's loving it too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll put this statement out there. I'm going to say Jimmy or, or Joey Glaston will be your next first-time winner in Pro Stop Motorcycle. And one of them's going to get that win this year. I will about guarantee it. Yeah, and Gladstone's riding well, too. I mean, he's sitting fourth in the points. He's had some good race days for himself. It just hasn't come together for him yet. But, yeah, watching uh, you know, watching Jimmy, as aggressive as he is, get out there and, and really lay the numbers down. And he was, you know, when the, the, the first 200-mile-an-hour run for so many people, It's even if you're in the club or not, it's still a milestone in the career. And, and he, was, uh, he was very thankful. We interviewed him at the top end when he made that run, and you could see just how kind of excited he was. And, and it almost looked like, not I want to say relief, but it looked like almost, you know, something off his shoulders going, okay, now I have a hot rod I'm sitting on right now that can hang with anybody. Yeah, I've, I've never seen him and his dad be this excited uh, to run a motorcycle. I mean, they, it's been so long since they've had this quality of bikes. You know, at any minute they can win a race, you know, with what they have right now. So the goal is to get them a win. The goal is to get Gianna back up to par where she can be fighting for a win and, and, and be a threat, you know, this year also. So, um, but we've accomplished that with Jimmy already. I think everybody knows that he's got a fast bike and he's going to be a threat. And it's only a matter of time. I mean, my bike's close. We just have struggled with 60 foot stuff right now, uh, with clutch was stuff, but, uh, we stayed there on Monday and tested at Charlotte and got it matter and looking forward to Richmond this coming weekend. But I will tell everybody that probably, probably 99.9%. I will be back on a V twin at the Denver race for the one simple fact of, I have no data for Suzuki at Denver <laughs> yeah. and it's such a tricky place. Yeah. And if you remember, I mean, I've been no more qualified there the last two years at Denver, one last year. I mean, it'd be stupid for me not to run that bike at Denver. Yeah. You know, um, coming up. You know, one of the things we've added to our NHRA and Fox broadcast are the uh, the Denso on-bike cameras, which have been unbelievable because we're seeing things that, you know, even from all of our slow-mos and everything else, we're seeing stuff on a motorcycle that we've never seen before, watching you guys reposition your bodies down the racetrack, watching Angie manhandle or woman-handle that bike. Uh, the last that footage we had from the last race was unbelievable, down course of how much input she had on the, on the handlebars. Uh, how much has that been interesting for you to have on the motorcycle, and two, does that bring any value to you guys as an as an analytical tool can you watch that and see anything worth uh worth adding to your program yeah i mean we uh we've been learning some stuff uh angie just she made the comment last race she goes man i didn't know how much i moved the handlebars you know going through <laughs> the first three gears you know uh so yeah it's, it's some stuff to learn on that um 
I am I am working right now with the uh, Fox broadcast, uh, and hopefully we can get the, uh, something different put on the bike for for Richmond. But I don't think if we don't get it there, it'll definitely be on probably at uh, Bristol or, or Norwalk. I am. We're going to introduce a new camera to something that I think will blow the minds of people with the uh, Pro Stop motorcycle. Um, it's going to be pretty wild, I think. No, it's great, and all this stuff to me, it's a it's a great way to to get people that maybe have a passing interest in the category to get fully engaged because it's it is. We talked about it, and we've talked about it with riders like you, and and how physical these motorcycles are to ride, and then you physically, we actually now watch you at a kind of a bird's eye view doing it. It's uh, it's a really enlightening enlightening deal. Um, you know, among the you know, there's the physical strain of drag racing which we've talked about. There's the mechanical strain, and and you've been battling some stuff uh, earlier this year to get to get your program where you want it you know i'm not sure you expected to come out and win the first three races i'm maybe not sure you expected to come out and be a be around one out in the first uh, in the first three races either but in your mind for your own personal machine regardless of all the other bikes you're dealing with where do you feel like you are do you feel like you're on course moving ahead are you behind where you want it to be where are you no i, I think i'm on course i mean uh, i debuted my, my my bike personal bike at houston and first race out we went 201 mile an hour with it yeah um, so that just showed everybody that MSR is making big power with the Suzuki program. Um, it was almost top speed of me. I think Steve Johnson clipped us barely, um, with top speed at Houston. Um, I went over 200 at, at, at Charlotte. It's just a simple fact of getting everything together, getting the whole package together. It's more than just a reaction time. It's more than just 60 foot. It's more than just going down the track fast. It's everything. I mean, people don't realize to be a successful NHRA Pro Stop Motorcycle Racer, you have to hit your shift points on time. You have to keep the bike straight. You have to keep the bike in the groove. And you have to, you know, leave the start line on time. And you have to get the uh, 60 foot down. And if you don't have any of that stuff, you're not going to be successful. So it just takes everything all at one time. The fastest bike out there, the quickest bike out there, all they got to do is go up here and blow the tire off first round or something, and they lose. You know, it happens all the time, and we're pushing these bikes on the edge so much yeah. that it's a total package, and you just got to be there to, to do it. And speaking of you know pushing on the edge, we've seen uh, we've seen personality types which have clashed in the past uh, begin to clash again early in, in this season of pro stock motorcycle. Myself, massive fan of it. I think this is uh, this is something that our sport just never has enough of. It never has enough of the kind of you know back and forth. I want to say honesty, the back and forth rivalry, whatever words you want to use for it. But this is uh, this is about as heated as we've seen it get between you know your camp and, and Johnson's camp. And um, like I said, I'm in a position where it's fun for me to watch and sit back and see what's going to happen next. I don't know if that's fun position for you to be in or, or if it's a frustrating position to be in, but just give me your thoughts on that right now because it is, to me, the biggest story in the class at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm going to put it this way. Uh, Steve Johnson, uh, he has a magic tire right now on his bike, and uh, we've all had them. I mean, I've had them. I've seen Karen have I, I've seen everybody have them. Scotty Polichek had one last year. This tire that he had went. 114 laps and i took it off because i'm like we can't run it no more i'm scared to death of it 114 114 laps yes and we took it off and it would still go 105 (laughs) or 106 60 foot you you have these tires every now and then that they're just badass and and but the majority of tires are not like that steve has this lucky tire right now and i'm telling you when that tire runs out then he's going to be middle of the pack 
and I'm just I'm being blank about it, and that's just the way it is. Eddie Craywick, any of these guys that's raced long as we have, will tell you the same thing. You can have the same clutch setup that went 105, you know, last year. It won't do that this year because you have a different tire on the bike. There's just something about sometimes you find a tire. It's not a lot number. It's not. A, it's not a mold number. It's not nothing. It just something pops out every now and then, and, and you get one. And he about to, he needs to ride the wave while he can because I can promise you he will not stay on top this whole year. And that's interesting. That's a that's a neat piece of insight there. And and you know that the tire conversation I think we've had in the past to to a degree, but that's an amazing idea. 114 runs on one tire, and like you said, you just I mean it, it's it, God only knows how many more it would have gone. But I guess that's the point. You don't want to get it to a point where it where it does something stupid for you. But that is amazing. Yeah, I, you know, you have one person, Scotty. You didn't want to take it off, and I'm like, Scotty, we got to take it off because a one, I don't want you to get hurt. A two, I don't want to tear up all my stuff if it blows out. Yeah. So. We've got to take it off. We're to the max, you know, and we put it in that town and it wouldn't go but 107, you know, maybe a 106 every now and then, but it was mainly a 107, 108 tire. And it's just, we didn't change that on this bike. We didn't change anything but the tire. Um, they just, they just pop out. They just happen. And trust me, I would love to have one right now because it would help my Suzuki program out a ton. <laughs> and just in terms of in terms of the, the the kind of exposure of personalities, and again, it's something that we don't get enough of. Every once in a while, we get someone that you know yells and screams about the track prep or something like that. But we very rarely get to get the personalities of our riders and drivers kind of in this in this type of situation. And I don't necessarily think you find it a distraction. I think it may, you know, very candidly, I think it does tend to distract Steve a little bit. I think you guys are of, of much different mindsets in that way. But, you know, is this something you kind of enjoy a little bit? Uh, I mean, I enjoy it to a certain extent, you know. Um, I mean, you know, when you start, let me put it this way, when you start calling people names, you know, on yeah. the Internet and stuff like that, yeah. Um, I think you're pushing it yeah. um, because – you know, before long, he keeps on doing it. You know, I'm going to meet him at the Golden Corral one night, and we're going to solve this thing. Um, but the big thing is, you know, I'm finally having rivalries. I've had rivalries my whole life, you know. Uh, me and Andrew Hines and Eddie, we've had the rivalries. You know, I always called him the, the black trainer over there. Yep. You know, but I would never call him, you know, names, you know, or, or whatever like that. And I think that's where he's pushing it too far. And, you know, he just needs to straighten up because – you can have rivalries, but you got to be more respectful of people because a one, if there is sponsors looking at you, they don't they don't want you to slander people like that. No, that's a fact. Uh, and and maybe that's why he doesn't have the big sponsors right now because of the way he you conducts himself to the public. Um, Steve's been out here a long time. He's a very good racer. Um, but one thing he's got to remember, and I will I will say this to it to him plainly. He's been out here a lot longer than I have, and he has a zero next to his name, and I have five of them. So he needs to watch what he's doing. Yeah, and listen, your dad made that point years ago in one of our ProMod shows. Uh, he was going back and forth with somebody, and he pointed up to the side of his trailer, and it says, 11-time world champion. What does it say on the side of that guy's trailer? <laughs> yep. Very valid point. So, and actually, one last thing. Were you at the starting line for the ProMod final in Charlotte? Did you go up to watch your dad run that? Because that was... That was totally out of control. I don't know if you saw that or not. I was. I was there standing in his lane, and, man, I'm going to tell you what. I mean, I don't know what an HRA could have done about that. Yeah. They probably should have – the starter probably should have run up there and just flipped on the red lights or something 
and made it all start over, and the guy that rolled through the beams, he's out. They yeah, just let everybody start their procedure over with three yeah. cars. Yeah, I agree with you that. Know? Yeah, there would have had to have been something, or you just prevent Shelton from backing up at all. You get in front of the car and just make him sit there so he doesn't, so the lights don't come back on and off again. But it was, I mean, it was crazy. And then, you know, we're all watching the top end camera because your dad is obviously one of the greatest of all time, and he's a very fiery competitor. And I think 20 years ago, if that happens, I don't think there's a door left on Shelton's car when he comes <laughs> to a stop because I think your pop would have had that thing off quick. But uh, he was certainly warmed up as all the racers were. But, yeah, Sheldon was a little slow to get out of his car up there, and I kind of understand why. Yeah, like I said, I I, I don't know. We've never been in that situation before. Yeah. But, um, you know, something should have been done differently. I know they couldn't go back and rerun it, even though they've done that in the past. I mean, there was a four-wide instance, I think, two years ago where one of the stage beams malfunctioned. Yep. And, um, you know, they had to rerun a pro-stop motorcycle round um, because of it. And, you know, we weren't happy about it, but we had to do it. So I'm, I'm thinking that maybe NHRA should have said, you know, hey, y'all have 45 minutes. Go back, get your cars ready. Stan or the Shelton guy, you're out. You roll through the beans, you're out. So it's going to be three cars. Y'all know it's three cars running for the win and runner up. Yeah, and I think, you know, these are the type of situations where you, you now have to make a protocol for it, right? It was something that, that if they hadn't seen it in this specific way, now there's there's got to be a protocol created because it's going to happen again. It's like everything else in drag racing. Nothing ever happens once. You know, eventually you're going to see it again. But I was just curious to know if you were up there watching or not because it, uh, it was a calamity. Yeah, it was bizarre for sure. Well, man, just give me one last question here. Uh, the, the surface of Virginia is, I think, almost beyond parallel. I think, uh, obviously, Charlotte's a great racetrack, Vegas a great racetrack, but this Virginia track, we haven't been there in three years, but A, have you tested there over the last, let's call it six months or so, and B, what's your opinion of the actual seamless racing surface they have? Uh, I have tested there, not in the last six months, but uh, Tommy, Tommy Franklin has an awesome facility. Um, Tyler does a great job of keeping the, the track surface prepared for us. And we do. We go up there and test quite often. Um, I have not tested there this year. Um, but that place is always spot on. And i um, very excited to go back there and uh, see what we can do. And, uh, you know, I've never wanted that track. So I would like to uh, put that win column under my belt. Not too bad a ride from King, North Carolina to get up there to Dinwiddie, Virginia. Matt, thank you very much. We'll be seeing our pro stock motorcycle racers this weekend at the Virginia Nationals. Thanks for all the insight, the information, and I still can't get over it, man. 114 runs. Damn. So we go from Matt Smith and Pro Stock Motorcycle. We switch gears to one of the hottest shoes in the top fuel category so far this season. Justin Ashley, driver of the Phillips Connect Cotto Fasteners, VitaCShot.com, top fueler. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. And, and the reason I wanted to catch up with you today is because we're kind of uh, venturing to this point in the year where we can really start to take stock about kind of where people are. And, and I can do it from the outside looking in, but but you can do it from the inside looking out. So, you know, we see multiple final rounds. We get a, a victory notch so far this year. Where are you feeling your team is as we head to Virginia this weekend? Yeah, I feel like we're in a great position right now. Obviously, when you look at the season as a whole, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. So we have to continue to take it one race at a time. But you can tell early on in the season the depth of competition there actually is in top fuel. And it's something that not only that we expected, but it's something that's come to fruition here early on in the season. But I think that when you really look at everything as a whole, our team stacks up right at the top. Everybody on our Phillips Connect team, top to bottom, Tommy DeLago, Mike Green, they've all been doing a fantastic job. And each and every race, we find ourselves in a position to move forward in the points and position to win races. 
you know, it's interesting to me because your assessment is, is 100%, you know, spot on in terms of the sprint versus marathon. But people come at that from two very different ways because when we see teams that maybe are underperforming to their own or, or outside expectations, we always hear, well, it's a long season, we'll get it. Uh, you're in a much different position than that. And I, I think, you know, those are always scary words for me to hear when it when a team's a couple races in and, they, and they're not looking so strong and they say, well, it's a long season. I think, you know, mentally, to be coming at it from your position, it's almost like it's instead of looking forward to the next race to try to fix a problem, it's looking forward to the next race to try to get another win. Well, no, that's exactly right. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be in a position where in the beginning of the season you're saying it's a long season. Yeah. And it's true. It doesn't take away from that fact. But nonetheless, the races early on, we earn the same amount of points that we do the races later on in the yeah. season. So they're just as, if not more important. So, you know, we're fortunate to be in the position that we're in where we're not really chasing anything right now. But we're also aware that there's ebbs and flows in racing. We're very positive. We think very positive and we understand our objective and that's to win every race. But it's just not going to be that way in this sport. So it's up to us to go out there and put our best foot forward, but not to kind of ride that wave, to stay consistent and continue to go rounds, continue to win races and continue to stack points. You know, we've watched this, uh, I want to say, kind of a maturing process, you know, with your team over the last several seasons. And we've seen it as a team that showed up and was competitive and had good parts and pieces. And you ran the races you could run. You win rookie of the year. We see uh, last year a team that starts to find its way to more final rounds, to starts to kind of come on stronger as that season got to, to its end. And then we see a team this year that really is hitting its stride. So I, I want your perspective on that on that maturation process, and not just for yourself as a driver, because you've been rock solid the whole way through, but it is the maturation of the actual organization. And that's what's kind of fascinating to me. How does it go from point A, which was pretty good, to where we're at now, which is really good? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, honestly, I have to give a lot of credit to Dustin Davis. I think that he's done a tremendous job of building this team. You know, we brought in Mike Green, then we brought in Dami Delado. But even below them, just bringing in the right type of personnel has helped us kind of take that next step. So you said it, we built a foundation in 2020. We won Rookie of the Year, got better in 2021, and got better in 2022. And the reason we were able to do that is because we had the right team in place and because we put the necessary work in in the offseason. So we took the months in the winter to try and gain more power, to take that next step to bring in a guy like Tommy DeLago. So I think you definitely see that maturation process over the first few years. And I think it's really a testament more so than anything else to the group of guys that we have. You look at the teams that have been uber successful over the last number of years. Take a team like Steve Torrance. They've had that same group together for 10 plus years now. So that's a big part in it is continuity. And we starting to develop that continuity over the, over the last few years, really. And you start to see it show in the performance on the racetrack. What is uh, you know what has Tommy Delago brought? We know that his role is to, obviously to work with Mike Green, and, and Mike talked about his ability to to take on projects, to to oversee things that allow Mike frees Mike up to concentrate on on the things he wants to do in a in a micro level. And Tommy can work on some of that stuff that doesn't detract from from Mike Green's focus. Uh, from your perspective and and from the team's perspective, what has Tommy brought to the table for you guys? Yeah, he's brought obviously a tremendous amount of expertise and a championship winning mindset, which is something that Mike has as well, obviously, but it's nice to have another person there, you know, from Mike's perspective in the crew chief lounge, just another set of eyes and ears, hearing things, looking at things, understanding being in particular situations. And I think something that's special about Tommy that I noticed from the beginning is that he has this innate ability to relate to the people on the team. 
He's a very relatable guy, and it's something that's easily transferable. It's something that's easily seen, you know, from me and from the rest of the personnel and the rest of the team that we have. So he's brought a guy who has a specially aggressive mindset, who wants to go out there and run the fastest and quickest that we can each and every single run. But he does so in a humble way. And he does so in a way that helps us communicate with each other. Well, and that's and that's the the kind of unseen thing we talk about a lot in this sport is that interpersonal side of of a functional team. And and listen, we've seen teams over the years that have that have succeeded almost in spite of themselves. We've seen teams that have been a, a picture of dysfunction, but they managed to get their act together on Sundays and win some races. Uh, but that's really not the, the 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 kind of way for long term success. So you know, in the in the weighing of bringing Tommy in, there's all the mechanical knowledge, there's the race wins, there's the history. Um, but there's also that that personnel element, and was that part of the discussion? Was it was it was part of that recruitment or that that review process? Going, is this guy the right fit for our group? Well, I think it was in both ways. You know, the first thing we did at the end of the year was ask Mike Green, or I should say, toward the end of last year, is who's the guy that you want? Who do you want to work with? And the guy he told us was Tommy. So ideally, we wanted to bring in Tommy, but obviously, we had to make sure it was a good fit on our end, somebody that was going to fit within our culture, but that part was easy. We also had to make sure that we were going to fit within what Tommy wanted to do and the people that Tommy wanted to work with because that's just as important. And you're right, we've seen people win races maybe despite the culture not being the best or maybe some interpersonal issues, but that's not what we want. We want to be out there racing. We want to be out there racing successfully, but it's very important. You know, these guys and these girls on the team spend more time with each other than they do with their own families during the season. Yeah. So it's really important for them to be able to get along, enjoy enjoy each other's company, and be able to spend time together in an effective way. And I think that, you know, the objective is that, you know, two plus two equals five, that we're better together than we are apart. And bringing in a guy like Tommy to work with Mark, I'm sorry, to work with Mike, has really helped us take that next step forward. We're, uh, you know, we're looking at what is uh, always a fun thing to do is look at the forecast for the weekend. Could be questionable, you know. It's as every weekend, it's always, you know, up in the air of what could happen. This one, this one may, this one may throw some curveballs at us in terms of availability of qualifying sessions, whatever. Uh, if you're listening, you're coming to the Virginia Nationals. Of course, you got to show up because we're going to run no matter what. We will run on Sunday. I can promise you that. But in terms of as you guys look forward and as you maybe as a racer, not necessarily making the tuning calls, but as the guy in the seat, um, as we saw in Gainesville you know things become exponentially more important when there are those questions in the air so I'm sure these are conversations you have within the team but has some of those or have some of those conversations happen a little look at the forecast going okay you know we better be we better be ready to be almost perfect here the first time down the racetrack yeah absolutely I think that our objective no matter what the weather looks like really is to be able to go down the racetrack Q1 we want to make sure that we put ourselves in a position where you know, we feel like we're solidly in the fields. So we have some flexibility going into qualifying rounds two and three. But especially in a situation like this, there are internal discussions when we know the weather might not be good. Or we have three qualifying sessions, but we might miss out on a session or two. It just makes it that much more important to be able to go down the racetrack and get the data and information that we're looking for. And, you know, everybody on our Phillips Connect team knows that and understands that. So we're going to be keeping a close eye on the weather. Like you said, Brian, we're going to race. And we're going to raise no matter what. It's just a matter of how much and when to be able to do that. So those are discussions that we've had, those are discussions that we have every weekend that we'll continue to have because it really plays an integral role into the strategy. There's different strategies going into each race. And if we know that we might miss a qualifying opportunity or two, it might change our thoughts and, and, our, and our mindset going into one of these qualifying rounds. 
you mentioned the fact that uh, you know Top Fuel continues to be just really totally wide open, and it's been a, a parade of different people in final rounds. We've had a couple of multi-time winners. You've been a multi-time finalist this year. Um, it, it and you mentioned the fact that it's kind of been almost a long time coming, and I think when those of us like you, me, and other people that are kind of invested in the sport as as you know a big part of our lives, I think a lot of us. Didn't see it to this level, but we saw the pieces coming together, almost like a storm forming, right? You, you start to watch the clouds kind of start to swirl around, and that's exactly what's happening right now. And, you know, talk to me a little bit about the difference between 2020 and 2022 when you first came out, because it was a very different landscape, and it's only been a couple of seasons. Yeah, it really is. I mean, you know, it's definitely a noticeable difference, and I think we all realize that. Now, when we first came out in 2020 and 2021, it was extremely difficult. No matter what year it is, sure. it's the best competition in the world. But there's a huge difference here this year in 2022, and you can see it. You saw the tea leaves in the offseason with guys like Austin Proc coming back, guys like Tony Schumacher coming back, guys like Josh Hart that are going to run a full schedule now. There are no more layups. Just by way of example, you know, I know it was a four-wide race, but we qualified number one in Charlotte. Look at our quad. We had Cameron <laughs> Ferre, who was a runner-up. We had Austin Proc and Antron Brown. So it's like, oh, congratulations. Here's your gift for qualifying number <laughs> right. one. Right? Really is tough. There are no easy outs. Or the depth of the field is really great. I think it's really good for fans. It continues this way. I would like 10 more competitive full-time cars because I think it's healthy and I think it's good for the sport, but it's certainly a noticeable difference. And I think from a team perspective, everybody knows the margin for error was X big and now it became that much smaller. Yeah. The window is um, you know, tiny and that's, and that's what makes it so fun to watch. And again, it's, uh, it's, it's one of these things where, you know, that we talked about the, 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 the hidden things that change when you have the amount of cars we've had and the quality of cars that we have and will continue to have. But one of those things to me that that changes is when we look down the road to Indy and then post Indy, we got a ways to go before we get there. But at the same time, it's it, it becomes that much more stressful in my mind when you're looking around going, man, like uh, it, that, you know, that first countdown race is probably going to start to determine right off the bat. If you go out early in the first countdown race this year, I don't see anybody letting their foot off your neck to, to let you back in the thing. Ugh, where's the break? Where is the break, right? It's like <laughs> it's nowhere. The, the margin for error is just not there. Like you said, you know, each race in that countdown is going to be so critical, and each race during the regular season is critical, but you're right. It's like there's nobody that's going to let up. You know, once they have... Once they have you down, they're going to do everything they can to keep you down. So that's why it's important to be able to stack round wins in the regular season and put yourself in the best position possible, you know, if you're fortunate enough to make the countdown. And then when you're in the countdown, you have to race each and every race like it's the World Finals. You really have to because it is that important, and it's going to show when we actually get to the World Finals at the end of the year in Pomona. You know, one of the things that uh, not only not only drag racing, every motorsport on the planet's, you know, working with supply chain, this, that, the other thing. And, you know, there's been teams that have gotten behind on parts. They've had some 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 rough stuff happening early in the season, and it's put some people in a, in a weird position. You know, you're a guy who's obviously been, been instrumental in, in helping to build your team on the business side. You have a, a kind of a long-term point of view. Is that shared by everybody in this in this mechanical side of things too? Because ultimately, you're going to have to have the parts to actually compete at the end of the year. And if you chew too many of them up now, uh, the cupboard is going to be pretty close to bare. It seems like, and no one really knows when this is going to return itself, you know, quote unquote, back to normal. But I want to talk a little bit about that and you looking down the road. How important is it to make sure that, I mean, physically and mechanically, you're you're able to compete? 
Oh, it's huge. I mean, you have to be mechanically and physically able to compete. And obviously a large part of that is because of the support that we're getting from Chip Loft and Vita C-Shot, from Philips Connect, from Toyota, from Lucas Oil, Kato, Autoshocker. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in the position to even talk about this right now. So it's because of them. But I think that Dustin Davis, Mike Green, Tommy DeLago, they did a great job of being proactive, being ahead of the game and making sure that they ordered parts early on in the offseason so we're in a position where we can run fast with the parts that we want and be competitive because it's a major supply chain issue right now. Like you said, not only within this industry, but really within the world as a whole. So you have to have those parts and pieces to be able to compete. The mechanical aspect obviously is super important in our sport and we need it. So we're in a good position moving forward, but we have to be able to sustain that position that we're in because as a group, you know, we really do have that long-term vision. We want to be racing successfully with the same sponsors, with the same partners, with the same team for a very long time. How much is uh, Jim Epler enjoying this? Obviously, Jim's a big part of the, the Phillips Connect family. He was out at the races early in the season. How much is Jim enjoying not just being a part of a top fuel team, but being a part of a top fuel team that is contending week in and week out? Oh, Jim loves it. Jim Epler, uh, Amber White, Rob Phillips, they all really love it. And the fun part about Jim is he understands things that the average person might not understand. So we'll go back after a run and he'll tell me what happened before I even told him what happened. (laughs) So I think that's the really awesome thing. I always joke around about him about when he's going to get ready to drive the top fuel car during testing or at least warm it up. And, you know, who knows, maybe there'll be a funny car out here one day. I don't know. You know, but I think he really does love being there and uh, he's a great person to have there. He's really unique in the sense that not only was he a great driver, not only does he have that driving experience, but he also owns his own team. Yeah. And he and he worked hand in hand with his sponsors and his partners. So he's a very bright guy from the technology side, from the driving side and from the business side. And it's obvious to me what a help he is to our program. But he is having, I mean, you got to ask him, but I think he's having an absolute blast. That's great. That's good to hear. And, uh, you know, obviously it's great to have a name from, uh, such a decorated name from NHRA's history involved uh, in your team in that manner. Let's talk about Virginia real quick. We're going there this weekend. I don't believe you've ever raced a top fuel car there because the last time we went there was 2019. That's right. I never raced there before. So I did race there once in a regional event in Top Alcohol Drags. They're a great track, fast track, great facility. But really, that's all I know about it. To be honest with you, my dad raced there in Funny Car, but I have not raced there in Top Fuel before. So I'm definitely going to take the time, you know, early morning on Friday to kind of get to know the facility a little bit better, make sure I know my turnoffs and just have some perspective before the race weekend starts. Yeah, that uh, the service itself is unique. It's incredibly fast. It is, uh, you know, it's the only quote unquote, you know, seamless track we have on the tour, meaning that uh, there's no expansion joints in it. And, you know, we've actually seen it over the years hold up to some really hot weather. That 2019 race we had there was, I think it was 90 something degrees on Sunday and the, and the surface held in. And I think it's one of those things that, you know, Mike Green brings so much to the table, but the fact that he's seen this place a couple of times and he understands it where some of the other crew chiefs may not have seen it to the degree he has so that's just kind of i guess another little piece of your uh, piece of your arsenal you can use this weekend oh it's great it's huge to have a guy like mike green and tommy too have that experience right because you know i'm a driver who doesn't have experience at that racetrack and to be able to have a crew chief who's been there in hot weather and cold weather when it's fast when it's not so fast at a facility like that when he's able to go back and understand what that facility allows and what it can hold and what it brings to the table it makes a tremendous difference his leadership mike green has resonated down to the entire team and you can see it and you can feel it but one thing you can't buy is experience and he has that and it's been very resourceful for us 
Well, it's great, man. I'm glad we we're able to catch up today. I'm certainly looking forward to the action this weekend, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting to that that July chunk when we go out west and run a bunch of races back to back to back. I know it weighs heavy on the stress level of the teams and the drivers, but uh, you know, we're starting to build some great momentum here this 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 season. The Virginia race is going to be great, and then we head to Epping after that. But uh, it's going to be good, man. I, I wish you the luck this weekend. I don't think you need to, me to wish you anything because the team's been performing <laughs> so well this year. Congratulations thus far. Thank you, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to seeing the fans of Virginia and having a fast, fun, and good weekend. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. And that, as they say, is that for this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. Two great chats with two very hardcore racers and you know, two guys that I think race in different ways. They're both very cerebral in how they approach the sport of drag racing, and their results speak for themselves. Of course, Matt Smith is uh, an, a very intense competitor, a guy who is a second-generation intense competitor. That mentality coming from his dad, Ricky Smith, who's still to this day throwing down with the best in the world in the class of NHRA Pro Modified Drag Racing. It is going to be a great weekend in Virginia. The tickets for the Virginia Nationals are available on NHRA.com. You can grab them. We're qualifying on Friday night under the best lights in the nation. When you come and see us Friday night in Virginia, you're going to see a show the likes of which you have never seen in NHRA Drag Race. And I can say that with a great amount of certainty. They have the most advanced lighting system in drag racing at this racetrack. It is all LED, and it can be programmed to do things no other lighting system in this universe and the sport of drag racing is capable of doing. Tyler Krausno and the team will be putting on a show Friday night. And remember, this race is special in the sense that we have top fuel. We have Nitro Funny Car. We have Pro Stock Motorcycle. We have Mountain Motor Pro Stocks. We have Top Fuel Motorcycles. Not the injected nitro-burning Harleys we see at our races, but a pair of supercharged nitro-burning Top Fuel uh, Motorcycles will be there, and it will be McBride and Van Tyne throwing down in a kind of a match race format. This event is going to be something special. Make sure you get there and see us. Our return to Richmond since the 2019 season. Cannot wait to get back to one of my favorite places in the sport. Certainly one of the fastest, smoothest, and best surfaces in the sport as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week to recap Virginia and get ourselves set up for a little bit of a May break before we go to Epic, New Hampshire in June. It's all coming together. The 2022 NHRA Camping World Drag Racing season is awesome. It continues to get better each and every time we show up to the drag strip. We hope to see you this weekend in Virginia. If not, you can catch our qualifying and eliminations coverage on Sunday on FS1. You can check NHRA.com for the air schedule to catch all that qualifying action. And of course, eliminations on Sunday evening will be led in by the NASCAR race this week. So you can flip on the Stock Car Boys, watch them do their thing, and then NHRA Drag Racing will be right up on behind it. As always, I'm Brian Loans, your host, and I appreciate every single one of you that reaches out and says that you enjoy the show or sends me suggestions on who we should have on the show. It's great. You can reach me via email, bloans at NHRA.com. If you have ideas or suggestions for the insider, I'd love to hear them. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.